Welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwick from Painless Networking here. Check out www.painless.network for more. I'm taking the pain out of networking. The idea behind Painless Podcast is very simple. Let's connect with good human beings in and around sports and event marketing. Not just sound bites, but conversations with smart, interesting, generous people who share with us how and why they've reached the success they've had and how and why networking and mentoring have shaped their careers. More about the Chicago running scene and our guests today in one sec, but first, a huge thanks to our sponsor who makes today's pod possible, NCSA, Next College Student Athlete. Chicago-based NCSA is the world's largest and most successful collegiate athletic recruiting network. NCSA team of 600-plus former college coaches and athletes have helped tens of thousands of college-bound student athletes connect with college coaches every year. A tech company with a sports mindset, NCSA has been recognized for its culture initiatives, benefits, and workplace environment, winning multiple awards such as Fortune's 50 Best Companies to Work For and Chicago Magazine's Best and Brightest Companies to Work For. If you're interested in joining the NCSA team, they're hiring now. Help student-athletes connect with college coaches and opportunities. Go to the NCSA Careers webpage right now, ncsasports.org slash who dash is dash NCSA slash jobs slash careers. You got all that? I didn't think so. Find the link in the podcast description. Painless Pod 15 is with NCSA's president, Lisa Strassman. It's a solid firsthand take on their work and culture. All right. Today's guest, Steve Ginsburg, owner of Ram Racing in Chicago's northwest suburbs, and Dave Zimmer, owner of Fleet Feet Sports Chicago with seven locations in Chicagoland. Steve knew he wanted to be an entrepreneur. He loved sports. After starting in finance, getting deeply involved in competitive cycling, he and a friend opened a running store called Running Away in 2001. Today, Ram Racing owns and operates 30-plus events globally and produces another 500-plus races all over the country. Dave Zimmer also began in banking. He enjoyed running and triathlons and also got out of the world of finance to open his first Fleet Feet Chicago store in 96. Now it's seven locations and one of the country's biggest running specialty retailers. Listen in on how these guys built their companies, how they were competitors, uh, their jealousies of each other, but how they became friends and ended up selling different pieces of their businesses to each other. Steve now focuses on the event side. Dave focuses on his stores, and they're both much happier. And a great story of how other retail operations may be suffering, not Fleet Feet Sports Chicago, how other running events have leveled off not Ram racing events. It's really interesting. A big one coming up, Chicago Hot Chocolate uh, 15K and 5K. Check them out at hotchocolate15k.com. And actually, they've given us a code for Painless members, especially to use HC Painless, all one word, HC as in hot chocolate, HC Painless. Save five bucks on your registration for the race. So thanks for listening this far along. Uh, Ram Racing, if you want to check them out, it's ramracing.nmotive.com. And Fleet Feet is fleetfeetchicago.com. All right, final note. I, I hope to see you tonight. If uh, you're listening on the day this came out, Wednesday, September 20th, from 6 to 8 at the Brick House Tavern at Wrigley, Painless and Why Chicago. We've got a great painless networking event and panel on sports and technology with companies like Stats, PCG Sports Desk, Block 6 Analytics, and Powful all represented on the panel. See the pod description for the link or go to Event Sprout and search painless and get your ticket now since it's happening tonight all right enough let's go recorded september 14th let's get connected with dave zimmer and steve ginsburg 
Welcome to the Painless Podcast, gentlemen. Good day. Thank you for having us. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be up here at the global headquarters for Running Away Enterprises. And why don't we start with you, Steve? What's a, a quick pitch if somebody doesn't know what you do? How do you describe what your uh, job description would be? Well, if I could do that in 30 seconds, I'd make my life a lot yeah, easier. Right. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> my job is, truly my job is um, sharing my vision with my team and then doing everything I can to support them so that they can execute it. That it really is the best way to describe what I do on a daily basis. But what do we do? We put on running races. We produce running races for ourselves and third parties. And then we have a, the technology platform behind that to support it and to help ourselves and third parties with their races. And how many events uh, do you uh, own and operate? We own and operate over 30 races around the country and now uh, globally. And of those 30 uh, events, are they all running? Are there? We do have one triathlon. Uh, we used to have a triathlon series. We're down to one. And yes, the rest are all running races. Okay, and all, and I, I would actually I would even clarify that a little bit further. They're all what I like to call uh, race parties, or and I, and I use that phrase because it's an important one. Uh, and the first word is race, and I and I, I think it's very important that, that people understand that we put on USATF USA Track and Field certified and sanctioned events. So we treat every one of our races as is like it's a world major marathon, whether it's. Uh, you know, a thousand person race or it's the big hot chocolate Chicago race, you know, 40 plus thousand people. Um, the party is the, the swag, the chocolate, the post race, you know, entertainment, whatnot. But, you know, that that's we, we'd like to make sure that people understand there's a difference between the two th- between the two things. Now, you do 30 that are in-house and how many more are you working on over the course of the year? Total, we're doing, we're touching uh, over 500 other races. Wow. Okay. We talked about even international. You're in a whole bunch of cities, even with your own operated events. You're Correct. in a bunch of different markets. So right? our first international city is going to be Hot Chocolate, Mexico City on January 7th, I believe it is, uh, the first Sunday in January. And we are just completing our agreement with China and Australia. Oh, wow. That's amazing. How, how did those come about? Is it putting feelers out and seeing who's responsive? Or are you targeting specific, you know, targeting those countries specifically? We're always looking for good running markets generally. Uh, I would say that more about Australia than China, to be very honest. China came to us. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we, we're, we've been entertaining it and we've, we're getting to the point where we're just about ready to do it, you know, to, to move forward there. But in general, we've been looking for markets that we feel that we could execute our brand and, and our events the way we like to do it. Uh, and that it's in the right market where it would be received well. You know, so there's a good running community, which is always the, probably the single most important thing in any given city. You know, big or small, there's just a solid running community. Right. Okay. So we'll come back to that. But I want to get uh, Dave into the conversation too. Dave, you operating Fleet Feet Sports Chicago. What's your most important tasks that are, you're doing on a daily basis? So you really want me to go after that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> China to uh, Oak I Park. Sell shoes. <laughs> what I do, but really, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> shoes. So really, what we do at Fleet Feet Sports is we preach the mission that running changes everything. That uh, the Sport of running is the most giving sport in the world, both in terms of charity and what it gives to the individual athlete that laces up their shoes and goes out and does the activity. Um, Our goal at Fleet Feet Sports is to make sure that we're understanding the athlete, we're fitting them in the right shoes, we're listening, and that we are the community. Uh, We do over 500 community events in the city of Chicago every single year. Uh, We're now partnered with... uh, uh, with 
Graham on so many things from races that uh, we work on together to the races that uh, I sold to Steve's company, uh, to hydration stations that happen on the lakefront in the city of Chicago, uh, to uh, co-branded marketing that we do together. And the whole idea is to get people active. Uh, our goal is to get them into a store with people that understand what they're going through as they go left, right, repeat. <laughs> and it may sound like a really simple activity, and it is, but it's not fraught without its challenges, and we're here to make those challenges less and to get people prepared to be able to do Steve's events. Now, how did you, the next thing I, I always want to talk to people instead of just, you know, it's important to live in the present, but how did you get to this point of owning, you have seven, mm -hmm. seven uh, retail stores, locations, yes. right? Yes. But you didn't start, this wasn't, you know, I just talked to this week's podcast is Kerry Pinkowski running the, you know, executive director of the marathon. He's always been in, in and around running. And it, he ran, and then he got into the behind-the-scenes stuff, and he was suited and had the passion for it, and that's a logical progression. How did you get into this? Like, were you a runner growing up, knowing you? You know, you were a DJ and in a band and those other things. Where, where was sports and running in particular coming into play? Well, I, I've been running for 40 years. I started running when I was 12 years old as a way to stay fit for other activities. Uh, I played baseball competitively until I was 22 years old, and I used running as the platform for staying fit. Uh, so uh, running has always been part of my life, and after I graduated from college, I took a job working for Citibank. I was a communications major in college, um, radio, TV, film, and so I knew how to talk. And Citibank was uh, looking for people who could explain complicated financial ideas to people through the bank. And so I applied for the job, got it, learned a ton about finance, but really did not have a passion for what I was doing. So I was introduced to the sport of triathlon and it just took off from there. Did you grow up in Chicago area? Grew up in Park Ridge. Park Ridge. And then you did you play, you said you played competitively baseball. Was that through college? Did you I play? Played, uh, I played in high school. I played VFW ball. And then uh, the Loyola University did not have a team when I went there, so I played VFW. And then there was a semi-pro team in Glenview called the Blaze when I graduated from uh, from college, and I played for them for a little bit. And then I had to make money, so I like, got a job. <laughs> so you matriculated at Loyola of Chicago, yes. of course, so Chicago guy. How, and so how about you, Steve? Of, are you from the area? And you know, also, again, sports, did you grow up? playing them competitively, different different sports, or were you in endurance sports? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I grew up in Chicago. I've been in Chicago pretty much my entire life till uh, the only time I really left was to go away to college, went to Madison, Wisconsin, but I've always been in Chicago. And uh, I was always, I, I, you know, I always played sports, whether, you know, my big sports as a kid were probably, you know, hockey and football and basketball, skiing. As I got older, uh, biking. I, I was never. I was always the smallest kid. I was. Hmm. I was. I was a late mature. So I was always. I was quick. I was. I was one of the fastest kids in junior high. I can remember that part. <laughs> but by the time I got to high school, I was too small. And it really took me till college till I till I you know physically matured that I could start playing sports at a higher level. And I I was I played a lot of basketball. Until uh, till I went through about three knee surgeries, and then, I, and then I decided that cycling would be a better gig. And so I was a competitive cyclist for about 12 years, which was, you know, it was my passion for a long time. And I, I would run, inter, you know, inter, intermittently between there just because of, A, our business um, and, and just for the enjoyment of it. You know, I, I mean, there's always, like Dave said, if you're, if you're playing sports, you're, there's one kind of commonality to all of it, and it's 
left, right, repeat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and, and now I'm, I'm running and cycling intermittently between, you know, resting one thing or the other. And uh, a lot of times I'm doing it with Dave, actually. Now, did you, fun. yeah, well, right. Well, we got to get into that. Truthfully, whole. yeah. But the, the, the cycling, did somebody, you know, was a friend doing it? Was it as part of rehab? Or had you also kind of done that all along and then you just channeled yourself into that, uh, you know, to be com- so competitive about yeah, it. it was. It was. I had always. Um, I, I'd, I'd done a lot of mountain biking, and uh, uh, actually, a buddy of mine dragged me out to a cyclocross race once, and it burned my lungs so badly that I realized I had to get into a different type of shape, because <laughs> you know, there's is such a difference between being in basketball shape and being in, in running slash cycling shape, mm-hmm. and so I spent. Uh, probably two, three years uh, being, you know, coaching, being coached and, and really training before I was, you know, d- doing any real competitive cycling. You really went after it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To, uh, 4.20 in the morning, seven days a week. Uh, I was sleep deprived for 12 years. Yeah. I, guess. I was in amazing shape. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then subsequent, and then after a few shoulder surgeries, several shoulder surgeries from several, in- several injuries, I decided I was getting old enough that I could. Didn't need to do that anymore. So, and what did you? Now I take it easy. What did you do to put the bread on, uh, or put the food on the table? Uh, what was your career at that point when you were c- cycling? Uh, during the cycling days, I was. Uh, it was a combination, really. Actually, it was really kind of during the transition of my. So I started out in a, as an accountant, and it wasn't because I had the personality of an accountant. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I knew that. Um, my uncle was kind of my business guru. Mm-hmm. And he said, go get an accounting degree. So I did. Um, and then I had a short stint in international investment banking. And um, uh, the the lack of, well, the the way that business was, was not suitable to my personality. So I left that. And I, and I went into my own business. And uh, I started looking for, truthfully, I started looking for sports-related items that I could be a distributor of. And I came across some items. And the next thing you know, I couldn't be a distributor. I actually... They were doing such a bad job of making them, I made it myself. And so that led me to, to, to Asia. And so I did production of products for domestic companies, for North American companies. Like what uh, kind of stuff? Mostly sports-related. Bags, uh, apparel. Uh, my first big real product was a, an insulated water bottle carrier before you could literally buy bottled water on shelves in stores. I mean, it was a long time a long, ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's part of what got us... Uh, our success in our race business was it was when we picked up our very first race. Um, I I looked at the goodie bag and I said, this, you know, this 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 old way of doing things back then, you know, was always a white cotton t shirt with yeah twenty sponsors names on the back yeah. and you know a lousy logo on the front. And Do I not knock my roots. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you if you go into Dave's um, chest of drawers, you will see a stack of white t shirts. Um, and I, so anyways, I, I said, we're going to make something in one of my factories overseas. And we did, we made a long sleeve wicking shirt and we became known as the goodie bag guys instantly. Right. But that, that was, was something really you saw ve- that was very early on. This wasn't a, a gradual shift towards that focus for you. You saw that 
Right. And when, when, what time was that? How long ago? Well, that was, was our that? first store. So we opened our first store in 91. We, we had some great timing. We opened in 2001. Au- 2001. So, yeah, thank you, Dave. You're welcome. Um, like you're aging yeah, yourself. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wait <laughs> so a minute. Two months before 9-11, we opened a store. So the good news from that was that you know the, the economy tanked for a period of time, and we didn't know the difference because we just opened. So it all looked good to us. But we picked up our first race then, too, uh, the Bucktown 5K, which is where mm-hmm. our store was. And that's really where it all started. It was just, it was, you know, I picked up this event and I, we, had to, we had to figure out how to make a goodie bag for it. And that was the first first thing I played with. And out of curiosity, a little deeper on that, you talked about you were, you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. You got this accounting background. How, how would you say that you were wired that way? And, you know, and that, that led you to, you know, the, this retail location in, in Bucktown. You know, what was it that, that, that lit your entrepreneurial fire? Uh, you know, obviously you've gravitated towards sports. Was there more, more to it? Was there more practicality to it? Or was it actually more of a whim? How did you get there? Well, the there? first store was actually a function of uh, a, a childhood buddy at the time that wanted to leave the Board of Trade. And so he, you know, he was, that's how the name Running Away came about. <laughs> he, he wanted to leave the, leave the corporate life and get into this. But he really had no experience in business and or retail. But for all these years of manufacturing products, that's exactly what I did. I manufactured products for retailers. Um, all the sporting goods chains in the country were my clients, you know. So I was making their private label bags and and items like that. Huh. So I had this, you know, I had this understanding of sports and retail at that point. Well, and you had understood sourcing, pricing, yeah, all those kinds of things yeah. that are were important for that. All right, yeah. and when you opened the store, how much of it then um, was it carrying other people's almost all or completely all or? Uh, oh, we other people's product. You, you stopped. You did not. You did. You weren't making any. Uh, I was stuff doing for yourself. both. Oh, you were because the store was a small operation at that point. Mm-hmm. So you know, my buddy handled the store, and I kept doing my other business, managing the store at the same time, and then managing a race, and then one race became three, and then five, and et cetera, et cetera. And then I had to make a decision at some point. Had Buck was Bucktown. 5K was that uh, that was already in existence, and you took it over. Or? So that's actually the genesis of the Stephen Dave story, Uh-oh. which is the best part about it. So the 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 when we opened our store, we were about to open the store, and it was the race was owned uh, by a girl named Diane Goldring, and she uh, I found out about this race, and and I said, okay, you have a race in Bucktown, and we're opening our store in Bucktown. So I called her and I said, Diane, you have to, you know, we're opening the store. You got to do pack a pickup at our store. And she said, well, I can't. I have a contract with this guy uh, in Old Town called Fleet Feet and um, I can't do it. And I said, but you have to. We're in Bucktown. And so um, that was the year that we were opening. So the next year she came back to us and said, um, you know, I decided I'm going to have a family and, and you know, uh, I, I, I offered it to Dave and he didn't want it. <laughs> and uh, so not only can you have pack a pickup, you can have the whole race. And so Diane basically gave us this oh race, God. and that's how the whole thing started. So, you know, and I wouldn't be here today, literally, in this business if it wasn't for Dave Zimmer. So how did... Well, and, and that's the first time I'm hearing that part of the story, because I don't think I ever told Diane I didn't want to own the race, but I... That was at least my... That's the version I heard. I'm going with it. It's a I good story. My biggest... I, I stick with it. In fact, in fact like, Chris, edit his part out. Right. <laughs> what I would say, my fatal mistake was I didn't make it a three-year deal with Diane for back and pick up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so was that in... Right in 01, because you were opening yeah. the store. Yeah. So it was this time, 16 I think this years is ago. This our 16th year of Bucktown, yeah. Yeah, huh. 
All right, and so I mean the race is like this is a, I think it's the nineteenth year of the race or something. Yeah, I'm, I have to look, but yeah, they've been running 19. for a couple years. Yeah, two three. Yeah, years we're before. excited about okay. our twentieth year. Okay, now let's circle back to you, Dave. Yep. So were you like shaking your fist at, at Steve? Like, how dare he take this out from from no, underneath? No, it's a three hundred person race. Yeah. He didn't even. He was like the <laughs> smallest thing in his on his board. But no, you were I, doing uh, at that we, point. We were had, you doing other events? Like, is, so was we, Elvis in existence then? Elvis and was in existence at that time. The Elvis five k was in existence. Not Elvis himself. Uh, he, <laughs> he was long gone. Long gone. Uh, <laughs> Elvis five k was in exist- existence. The uh, the Fleet Feet Women's Festival was in existence at that time. Uh, we were just getting going with the race production at that point. And 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 truly, that might have actually happened because. Uh, ramping up towards Chicago Marathon, which is when Buck, uh, Bucktown always was, we were flat out. I don't, I don't know if we had the bandwidth to do it, so that very likely could have happened. Right, that makes sense. And uh, when um, when I think about Steve taking over the, the 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 race business and watching him grow the race business, I, I it's very Darwinistic. Um, I, I do really think that he ha- was set up for survival in that role more than we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would shake my fist at things like, I can't believe that this guy is creating jackets, creating this great uh, goodie bag uh-huh. and this swag that was going to the participants. That's what I would shake my fist at. Yeah. But I was also like, how getting, is he doing this? Because you know how the numbers work. And I know exactly how the numbers work. And I'm like, he's upside down. I didn't yeah. know him well enough at that point to know that he was creating this product in China and doing it themselves. I learned that um, later on and uh-huh. said, wow, that's brilliant. How long were you in 2001 then? How long had you been open with, when did you open the first Fleet Feet 96. Store? 96. So you've been open for five years mm-hmm. already. And how many locations did you have open at that point? Uh, one. It was still one. One really big, really, really big store. Was that? And I would shake my fist and go, what is he doing on that corner? It's killing us. And is that the Old Town yes. location was the first Correct. one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to ask both of you guys this. How did you get to expanding to a second store? When did you know you were you were ready or going to be able to sustain it, support support it. So in 2000, we moved from our 1,400-square-foot store, which we opened in 96, to a 4,000-square-foot store in uh, just down the street in Old Town. Um, that went really well, and we, we grew fast that year. And uh, we knew that we had to expand in order to serve Chicago. Uh, we wanted to get far enough away from our old town store where we weren't going to attrite out the business, but we also wanted to be close enough where some of the business would leave. Uh, so we didn't want to cannibalize too much, uh, but we also knew that the north side of the city of Chicago, uh, away from the old town area, needed a store like ours. So that's when we kind of made that decision in 2002. So the second one was Lincoln Square. Lincoln Square, right. Okay. When did you say I can we can open a second location because you did you was that the most you had was two or did you yeah. have more okay no we had yeah we only had two we did, did you ever say you wanted to open a second location I did <laughs> I did yeah I had I had I had other ideas I had I had um, yeah I was wrong um, <clears throat> boy my wife would love to hear that honey I was wrong um, <clears throat> the um, not about the store just other things anyways <laughs> We the uh, what happened actually it was two things we we had also grown up in the North Shore of uh, northern suburbs um, and so we were moving back and 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 as you started looking there you realized that there was a gap there as well mm-hmm. 
Um, but this time it was going to be a little different for me. So one of the things I didn't mention as a kid growing up, I, I, I said I, I used, I, I rode a bike a lot, or I cycled, and I did all that biking. But there was this one experience that I had as a kid where um, my parents had me when they were young. My dad was uh, training to be a doctor. We, we didn't have money growing up. And for some reason, at 11 years old, he took me and bought me an Italian 10-speed bicycle mm-hmm. called a Botecchia. But, and, I, and I have a, actually a refurbished version of that bike now. But it, it just made such an impression on me that like even when I was a kid and I had jobs, I worked in bike shops. I actually ran a couple of bike shops and built bikes and all these things. So I had this dream of opening my own bike shop. And so I wanted this time to open the second store as a multi-sport store that have, would have bike in it. And that's what—that's really what we did with the second store was really to kind of grow this thing to a you know it was not just running away now it was running away multi-sport or or now you know where Ram comes from right right that's when that happened so we okay. did that with the second store and then we went back and moved the first store a quick funny story on that too uh, we were in Bucktown on the other side of the highway and I wanted to do I wanted to inch just a little bit closer to that <laughs> enormous store. The world's biggest running specialty store. I figured if I can just creep just enough closer, but not piss that guy off too much, maybe I can just take a few of his crumbs. And so we moved to Clybourne and opened a bigger running, running in multi sports store. Um, and then, so that's how our second store came to be, actually, or the second bike store. I and say. when, like, and then adding on three, four, five, six, seven, mm-hmm. that happened fairly quickly within. Five, six years? Was it that oh, fast? 2004, we opened up in Elmhurst. We wanted to start to branch out and went out to the western suburbs. And we picked Elmhurst because York High School is there, and the York Dukes are a perennial great in cross country, and the community just understands running. So we went out there. Um, and then we sold that store. We sold it uh, to the management company of the franchise of Fleet Feet Incorporated. Huh. And we uh, we we... We were growing so fast in the city that it was really stretching our resources, and I had to look internally to make sure that I you know, was checking my ego at the door and, and say, I'm going to make this work. Fleet Feet uh, Incorporated wanted to buy it. We sold it to them. And a few years later, as our race business was taking off, we decided to take that business back because we couldn't do really good storytelling or tell the story of what the races were doing without all the stores being under the same management. So then we opened up... Uh, took Elmhurst back, and then we opened up South Loop, and then we opened up Lakeview, and then Oak Park, and then Deerfield. Deerfield is the latest one. Okay, cool. So when did you two start either having to... It went from competition to collaboration. You started focusing more on the event side and we haven't even talked about like Enmotive you've built I guess we should talk about that now might make sense this whole you mentioned a tech kind of a what would you call it a, a back of house or infrastructure you, can add it. You, you could either finish with how we got together or yeah. you can start on the Emotive because there's going to be two things I, do want to finish I, I, I would say that um, Emotive would be the second point of jealousy first was the goodie bags <laughs> and no understanding how he made them second how he built his own registration platform and how he did that I had no concept so that's the second point of jealousy so we've got two okay let's talk about how you got together then then yeah. we'll come back to that sure the jealousy so <laughs> how, jealous how, you were you, you were growing or did you look at that as the entrepreneur and the accountant of saying we need to be scaling and the events are the way to do it not doing it and grinding it out no, in no, retail no, no. or how, was, how did that it was it was um, well first and foremost you know, I, I, you can obviously tell we're two guys that, are, as it turns out, we're two very like-minded individuals. 
Um, we're now like best of friends that didn't know each other three years ago, four years ago. Um, but one thing we that we both really had for the our, for each other was this this kind of this silence. Uh, silent competition at the same time nothing but respect and admiration for each other I'll, I'll never forget I, one of the races that we brought to do at the at Soldier Field um, the person at Soldier Field took me inside the stadium and said you know you could run your race inside the stadium here and you and you know you could run on the ground you could run around the inside and I, I turned to my race director and I said isn't doesn't Dave run that race on Soldier Field, and they, you know the answer was yes. I didn't know it that well, but I knew of it. Right. The Soldier Field ten miler, and and I said no. That's this is his gig. I'm not stepping on those toes. That's going to create a war. And you know we're com- we're competitors, but we're you know we respect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I moved my store just enough close, <laughs> you know. But that that was always existed. And so then a, a time came where. Um, you know, there was there was there was other factors that kept us from talking to each other. Nothing of su- of, of substance, but it it was a uh, it was a momentous day at the Chicago Marathon Expo where we ran into each other, and I said, "Hey, you want to grab coffee?" And we and there really hadn't been much inter- or any real interaction up to that z- point. Zero. Really, I, I remember distinctly actually seeing him at like a mm. theater thing. I was standing in line with my wife, and he was in front of us. And I, and I'm really bad with names, and he was right in front of me, and I, and he turned around. And I said, "Aren't you the Fleefy guy?" <laughs> like that's as much as I really knew him, and, and that funny. may have literally only been a year or two prior to this. Um, no, we just had not had the opportunity. So we when we finally sat down and talked, you know, when you can find somebody that's as passionate about what you do in the exact same business and has the same hurdles, and mm-hmm. you know, let alone that our personalities are so similar. It, it, it was the most fun thing in the world. Hmm. And, and then everything just really developed from there. Well, we sat down and uh, had yeah, a conversation. Closer. Uh, sat down and had a conversation over coffee. And it was right after our um, Mag Mile race. Right. And, um, and with, what year would that have been? That Three years ago. Yeah. It's that recently. Yeah, it's yeah. that recent. And, huh. and uh, Steve said, I got, I got to tell you, I don't know how you got them to shut down Mag Mile but we got to talk about how we can make that bigger. And it wasn't, I want this, or uh-huh. we're not going to, we're gonna, not going to let you grow. It was this genuine, how do we work together? Because this is such a cool idea. And I was really blown away by that. And then after that, the conversation just started to flow because I wasn't talking to a competitor. I was talking to somebody who I could actually confide in, a hmm. like-minded individual uh, that, as Steve said, we had shared experiences within this industry. You don't find that in most industries where you can find that somebody to sit down that's not a mentor or a subordinate that's your peer. And the fact that both of you, I mean, I guess that's the key is you've got kind of similar personalities and and values, I guess, of that you, you some people can get so territorial provincial whatever you want to call it that they would they would like I can't open up to this guy cuz you know he's going to benefit from that and I guess screw me over or something but that you guys could just go to that and be open and benefit off of sharing the shared experiences is terrific. I think there was probably some apprehension in the first well, meeting but we, yeah, but we got past that yeah, pretty quick. Some people never get over it ever. So if you, if you want your your third jealousy thing it's the day that I found out that he was that he was the first guy ever to shut down the Mag Mile. Oh, so you, okay, race. but that's I literally went it's into two my, to one. Yeah, I, I went into my race directors. No, he had the big stores. So I have two too. Oh, that's for, okay. right. We're I literally now. went into my race directors' office and pounded my fist on his desk and said, "How the hell did he get the Mag Mile?" 
Um, but then the rest is, 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 is as Dave said. And where did the idea now kind of glanced over it, but you ended up, how long ago now was the transaction where summarizing it as you took, looking at Steve, you took the races and right. Dave took the stores. When did that, was that a long running conversation? Did that start at when you, you know, when you guys hooked up three years ago? Who, whose idea was it? How did that happen? I, I think we started talking about it at the end of um, 15, uh, end of 14, end of 14. And we had a kind of a non-starter. We started exchanging information, and we just weren't able to get to a point where it made sense for, for both parties. Um, and so we, uh, we both said, and now we're about you know five months into being friends, and said, well, we don't want this to affect our friendship, so hmm. if it's going to affect our friendship, let's just put it aside. So we put it aside. And then really? in, in 20, uh, end of 2015, uh, I approached Steve uh, and said, let's start this conversation up uh, because I'm, I'm really getting focused on my retail stores, and I don't want something to slip through the cracks that it's going to affect the runners. So and it sat for about a year, yeah, maybe, year. or something about Almost, like that. not quite, yeah. but yeah. just about, yeah. Huh. And how long at that point when you restarted, did that happen kind of come together pretty quickly or was there still a lot of, eh, let me think about it? And No, at that point, no. I think we pretty much knew it. We, yeah. we had bannered around the idea anyways, you know, even after when we put it aside because we would go on our bike rides together mm-hmm. and have coffees and talk and, you know, gee, we, you know, we could really, we could really benefit if we did this. And, yeah. and by the way, it wasn't like a financial benefit for either one of us. It was more, it was, it, it, and this goes to what, who the two of us are and what we love so much about Chicago running, but we are so, we really both are so passionate about serving the running community in Chicago. And we both realized that we could do a better job focusing on one of the two things as opposed to both each. And it wasn't, we weren't hurting each other by doing it the other way. We could just do this better this way. Um, I always said, you know, I loved my store. I mean, that story I told you about opening this store. So it was like having this this dog. I always use this analogy. It's like being uh-huh. having a dog and leaving it at home every day. And I found a dog lover that was going to take care of it. And it was like a no-brainer. And, and likewise for Dave with the races, we just, you know, we had, you know, with the success of Hot Chocolate and the growth, uh, we were fortunate to have, a, a you know, a bigger staff to handle the races. And so it, it just was, it, it was so... It made so much sense it was silly. Now that you had developed, that we were way past the apprehension, had trust and even friendship, it was better that rather than selling it to somebody else or something because you're just trying to you know, sharpen your focus, this way you were happy with who was going to be taking the dog, I guess, we right? We were so insistent and, on this relationship that the, we had a coffee where I said to Dave, um, you know, I have, the only thing that's keeping us from, the first step of this conversation that was, I said, the only thing that's keeping us from working together is my store in the city. Otherwise, we wouldn't be competitors because I'm out yeah. in Deerfield. It doesn't bother you at all. And, and my store in the city was close enough that it was – I said to Dave, I said, do you want it? And he's like, what do you mean? I go, no. do you want the store? <laughs> you can have it. And he, he did – you went home and thought about it for about five seconds. Mm. But um, the next day he says, nah, I don't need it. I said, then I'm closing it because I, I want us to work together. And it, Really? You know, yeah. Yeah. So wow. Steve closed the store on Clybourne, and when he closed the store on Clybourne, there became a need 
to be able to have a store to be able to do the packet pickups for the Ram races mm -hmm. that they were producing in the city. So we became the, the packet pickup stores. And again, traffic is king in retail now, especially with the headwinds that retail is facing. So being able to get that traffic coming into the store was, was great for us. And we were also able to market the events for, for Ram. Not that they needed uh, our help that much, but any any bit helps. But, it, but there is that mutual association is not the right term for it. But, I mean, you know, you do that to me as well as anybody. Like you said, the whole the, the reason for the race, there's, there's multiple reasons for the race. If you can make money off of it, that's great. But there's the running community, mm -hmm. and it builds that that's helping your retail operations, but is building a community that you love and like to be a part of. And then, you know, the, the, the feeding across the... the the community. I'm, I'm not saying this well at all, but it's complimentary that you get that the races have so much more value than just the that day of somebody completing a, a 10K. One of the things that we thought about when we were starting our first ever race is that it was part of our marketing budget and that we were right. using it to drive people into the store and create awareness for who we were as a brand. And to us, that was important. At some point, it became a business. And that's a completely different mm -hmm. model, scenario, mindset, effort. And when we had um, Soldier Field and the uh, BTN race and the women's half marathon on, on Mag Mile and Pumpkins in the Park and all the other uh, properties that we had, it was a business. And then we had these stores that were growing and it was, I was burning the candle at both yeah. ends. And I have amazing people but there was only so much that I could take. And now I have this friend who does this really, really well, who I believe is going to be a great partner to us. We started going down that road, and it just made so much sense. Right. Well, it, right. That's what it is. It's a great marketing slash advertising mm -hmm. component to what you do, but trying to manage both of those things, especially at, as it get larger and larger, you can't do both of those. So now you get to stay involved with a guy that you trust and like, with somebody that can really focus on it. So the part that we started, we touched on very early on, but about like you called it the um, race parties, that there's your focus on the the apparel and the the we're sitting here. You obviously can't listeners can't see this, but these really cool race medals and the really nice apparel that people get and your promotion. I'm on the promotion emails and you get it ahead of time that hey, this is the cool or hey, help us pick what the the tech top is or the this or that thing that that uh, you know draws attention, draws registrations. You said you realized that very early, very, very early on in, in the process. What, you know, how big of a piece of growing this business is relying on that versus working with running stores to draw in more hardcore runners versus working with nonprofits to bring in charity groups? You're growing your races. Right, and you're retaining people who then have a good experience because you put it on, while other races are maybe uh, you know flat to shrinking. What are you attributing that to to continue the growth? Well, it's it's everything. I mean, there's no there is no silver bullet in this. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's why everybody's listening. They wanted the silver bullet. Yeah, you don't have I, that I wish we all had that. Right. <laughs> Um, you wouldn't be sitting here if you had the silver bullets <laughs> talking to me right now. Silver bullet <laughs> is 17 years of hard work right. and good ideas. That's the silver bullet. Yeah. yeah. No, honestly, right? That yeah. really does come uh, and having the entrepreneurial sense, having some business sense, having a sense of community, well, all those things coming there's, together, there's, right? There's a lot of it. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to this that both Dave and I do equally, and that is 
um, you know, the, as, I, if I, as I have built this business, the number one thing I think about is who's our customer and how do we serve them better? And, and we know what that is. It's not a person. It's the running community, mm-hmm. right? And whether it's the running community in Chicago or in the 19 other markets we're in, in every market we do one thing similarly, and that is we, re- we work with a, the running specialty store on the ground and the running community in that city. So we don't come in and put on an event, and then we're not, we don't see them again. Mm-hmm. It's very, very important to us. Now, we learned that lesson by default here on our own. We had a store. We had a race. Oh, we have a running community. Um, we duplicated that. So that's part of the success, of at least of the Hot Chocolate Series on the road. As far as the city goes, um, listen, we, we grew fast. Uh, we grew fast because we came up with a novel idea in the Hot Chocolate events, um, and we had some really big bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. Um, they were never out of negligence. We never, we never didn't care. We never didn't try our hardest. Um, you know, so just a little perspective, Hot right. Chocolate Chicago grew from 3,500 people its very first year to the second year it was trending to 20,000. We had to shut wow. it. We had to shut it at 11. The next year we got Grand Park and we we closed early at 30 and the next year we closed early early at 40 and by the fifth year we were just under 50,000 people we were literally the fastest growing race in the world ever i mean there was nothing That's like insane. this yeah third, well, third point of jealousy <laughs> <laughs> there we go we got to three first over here from dave zimmer congrats dave ding ding winner ding. <laughs> but, the, the marketing of ram racing yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't jealous we had some big we had some big blunders we had some long lines at one race we had some you know, tough challenges on courses at one race. So, you know, those were that we had. We had some learning experiences that I always say I would never wish on my worst enemy, and I would never trade for the world because it built us to be who we are today. Well, how did you survive? How do you think you survived those? Because sometimes in that running community, it's fairly tight. People are just like, oh, screw that. It, it wasn't they, they easy. Can't, you know, it they wasn't can't easy. run a race. I'm I, not going back. I would pick up the phone call myself. I'd pick up the phone. I mean. And I would call people and say, I'm sorry. Or I would listen to them. When we had, we had a race one year where we were outside in a tent, because every year for hot chocolate, we have to wait till the Chicago Bears schedule comes out in mid-April. Well, oh, by right. mid-April, all the convention halls are normally full. Um, we have a little more leeway now that we're, you know, we've been around for a while, our 10th, year, 10th anniversary of Hot Chocolate Chicago. But this one year, we were stuck in a, in a tent outside by Soldier Field on a cold weekend. And we were reliant upon their internet that kept shutting down, and then lines would grow. And they were, they were not happy. No. Well, I spent two days handing out hot chocolate to people waiting in line and apologizing the entire time. And I spent, you know, I, I don't remember how much money on doubling up the number of computers so that we could do whatever we could to service them. They don't, you know, they don't see that. And, and, and truthfully, I don't know how much they even appreciate it, but... Somebody noticed enough to know that we cared, and and we do. And so now today we're in a position where we're fortunate. We've gotten over those humps. We've learned many of the mistakes. There's always new ones, um, but we never will stop trying to be better. And and so a lot of what we've become today has come out of those mis- that 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 fear that 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 horror of and it is right, it's that right. horror of living through that and going i can't ever do that to somebody again i can't make somebody wait i have a, a line, i have a saying lines beget lines we're not allowed to have lines in anything we do in our business it's my number one thing and if i can keep everybody moving 
you know, figuratively and fig- but more physically, truthfully, mm-hmm. they're going to have a great experience. Um, and then deliver a, a great product. So all of these things you're asking about, they all come into play. Is it the hot chocolate alone? No. It, that's cute. It's nice. Um, we're giving away a great post-race party food. Is it the swag, the jackets and all that? By itself, no. It's, it's great branding. They love it. They know they're getting value. Um, what most of them don't understand or realize is that our executive race director worked at the Chicago Marathon for 10 years while it was the world's largest major marathon he knows it inside and out. He's in charge of producing every single one of our events like it's a world major marathon event. That's the level of quality. We are trying to be like Kerry Pankowski mm-hmm. in the Chicago Marathon every day. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you set that goal you know, of being at that level and you work at it every day, you're going to do okay. You know, we don't take anything for granted. And then, when we, and then when we do have any kind of financial success, we pour it back into the business. You know, we're not trying just to squeak out a ton of money and walk away. We're we're always building, always, always, always building. And Dave, on your end of with the, this marketing piece in the community and and the same kind of uh, individualized touch that Steve talks about about because I, I I see it at all your stores of the running clubs and you know Monday night runs and Tuesday night runs and you know bring in speakers and you know start running clubs if there are, already isn't a strong one in the community is that something that you learned uh, gradually or was that something you've been ingrained with that has helped separate you from the get go the whole idea of retail is really a relationship and what we try and do in every community we go into is create relationships with either the local running community or by making ourselves the open arms of the community that people can come in and start their own and be involved. Um, I, I don't like I, I don't like turning people away. I don't like uh, I don't like people to feel that they're not included. I I I, I love Bill Bowerman, uh, the founder of Nike, mm-hmm. and his saying, "If you have a body, you are an athlete." <laughs> and I want everybody who walks in our store to feel like an athlete. We may cater to quote unquote runners, but if you are a person moving forward, we're going to be able to help you out. And we want to be able to make sure that that's inclusive. We've had 26 marriages come from people who have met at our store. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. Through racing teams, through employees, meaning customers. Uh-huh. Uh, out at races. I mean, we just, uh-huh. it's uh, the first couple that got uh, got married met while looking at the uh, the uh, Elvis is Alive logo in our first ever store. And he looked at her and said, are you going to do this race? And she said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And they wound up getting married. Getting married, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's and, awesome. I mean, we have many other stories that are like that. Uh, one of Steve's employees now uh, met his right. wife uh, while he worked for me. And she was on our racing team. I mean, it's uh, we we're very inclusive. We we want to be very inclusive. What he's missing, and I, and I can speak to this because I, I I do work with running specialty stores all over the country. Um, there is I have yet to meet anybody that works as hard as Dave does in get, reaching out to the community, servicing the community. He's so educated when it comes to running and running specialty and fitting and the whole process. I mean, you know, doctors would have trouble keeping up with him and his knowledge of the foot. And so that, you know, that's 
that's a big differentiator. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell you how hard we work, but I could also tell you, I call Dave and say, hey, you want to go for a ride? No, I'm going to track. I'm going to coach this group. I'm going out to this yeah. event. It's, it never ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the hardest working guy that I know of in retail, let alone running specialty retail. No. And so that's what, makes it, that's what makes Fleet Feet what they are. I mean, he took over my store in Deerfield. They were doing complete reconstruction of the roads on the corner. It's a corner road. The whole thing was torn up. And the first year he had the store, he increased shoe sales by 13%. There's my third jealousy. I mean, it was like, come on. What are you kidding me? We're tied again. The store, the street was in shambles, and he still managed to make the store, you know, grow. So, you know, that's that's, 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 that's what Dave and Fleet Fit is. All right. So we're running, going to run out of time here. And I did want to talk about this other piece of the technology and and motive and how, was that an entrepreneurial thing that you saw an opportunity because nobody else was doing a good job of it? Was it a pure business opportunity? Did you luck into it? Tell us a little bit about that back of... House operation. So the very first race. Uh, that, there's this one race that will always be used in pretty much every one of my conversations, the Bucktown 5K. Yeah. When we got it, I said, all right, well, h- how do people sign up for this thing? Because I did not know how they did it. And you know, I was explained they use this online registration system, and they go online, and I said, okay, and you know, the company takes three bucks, and you get the process, the registration fee. I said, great. And so for some strange reason, I guessed I was going to have 1,000 runners that year, and so I said, they're going to make three grand. And I turned to my brother, who's an IT guy, and I said, Mark, uh, what would it take if somebody wrote this for us? And he said, $2,500, $3,000. I said, done, do it. Now, granted, it was, it was about as rough you know, a, yeah. a registration plan, but it, but it was ours. You know, like I said, my background, my 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 business background, a number background, an accounting background. I I wanted all kinds of stats and numbers, and I wanted to be able to measure things. And so, oh, and we now kept you've controlling this. this data and yeah, seeing it, and, and I wanted to use this to, information. That, that was that seemed like common sense. So we we kept playing with it. And so, in Motive, as it's called, our technology platform grew out of building it for us. So we were just fortunate. You know, the Inmotive came to being because Ram Racing grew to be as big as it did. And, and that came to be because hot chocolate became so popular, right? So one, so there's all levels of luck in here. We leveraged it and we took advantage of it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't let it go un, unnoticed. But as it grew, we had demand. So, you know, for example, we're at, let's say, 30 plus races, 300,000 runners, you know, in 19 cities and, and um, you know, whatever, 50,000 volunteers. There's a lot of management that goes into that. And so we built in motive for ourselves to help us manage it. And so now we ended up with this incredibly robust registration platform. And um, we said, all right, well, it's time to take that thing up for a spin. And we started offering to third parties. And actually, that's not a fair way of saying it, to be honest. What really happened, actually, what really happened was I had now, now there was a change in the trend of the of, uh, the running industry. And, and this is an important part of what Dave and I do together. But um, running is about five years ago, really kind of peaked. Now, when I say running, not running as an activity. The number of people that get up in the morning, go for a run, or get on the treadmill at a club and run, um, as opposed to walking, bicycling, bowling, that activity hasn't changed at all. What's changed in the last three to five years is the participation in running specialty at retail and at running races, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the activity of running hasn't changed. And we have some theories on why that's happened, et cetera. But um, as, this, as this happened, we were trying to solve that problem. And, and we've done it here at Ram Racing, have done a really good job of that. Um, 
by virtue of economies of scale. We're, we have a lot of races, we have a lot of race budget, we can do a lot of really neat things with our marketing, and we have. Um, so we learned a lot of cutting edge technology, uh, or how to use a lot of cutting edge technology in marketing. And so my question, I went to a trade show in our industry and I saw all of these race directors out there kind of doe-eyed looking for help and, and nobody could give it to them. And, and the people on this panel that were giving the advice had no knowledge of the running of the race business. They were in the event business, but not the race business. Mm. And I realized we had an asset in, in, in our marketing and in motive. And so we started trying to sell it, the product, because we wanted to offer this as a service to the other races. Yeah. And that's what got in motive going. As we were now, I had this thing, I wanted to like get out to the running industry. Um, and so then I realized that one of the ways to connect with these people was through the timing business, which we subsequently picked up. And through several acquisitions, we, we are now timing a lot of runners across the country, let's just say. Um, and, and so now I had this connection where I could do registration and timing and production. And then we developed another module to our InMotive platform, the photography module. Oh, I, I, I was not aware of that. That's a fun one. Um, the, the photo business in the running, the fo 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 photos in the running industry has been this thorn in our side for the probably the last five years. Five, six years ago, you would go to a race, uh, a third party company would come out, take your pictures, and runners would pay to buy the picture. And so there was no cost to the race directors. Well, even though more than five years ago people started doing selfies, selfies really took over three to five years ago. And those photo companies stopped being able to sell pictures. Yeah. So the runners weren't, weren't buying pictures. The photography company didn't want to come out for free anymore. They wanted to charge us, the race directors, to come on out so that we could deliver pictures to the runners for free. And... Unfortunately, the way the platform works in the running industry is that the runners don't get the pictures. It takes several days to match them up. So they get the pictures three to five, sometimes even more days later. Well, by the time they get the picture, it really had no value. The runners still wanted it. They wanted to see it, but they weren't doing anything with it. Yeah. So we developed the first true instant photography platform. And so now we take pictures at races and right from the camera, it goes to, on, through our device, it goes to the cloud, it identifies the runner within three seconds, and they get it into wow. their email, into our platform, they could share it, they can do whatever they want with it. But now imagine you finish the race, and you're still sweating, your adrenaline's still pumping, and everybody's taking selfies, and there's that picture of you at the finish line, at the start line, on course, you know, branded from the race and or sponsors or whatnot. So that's a fun new thing that we added. And then we, we, caps, we encapsulated all this in something we call the hub. And basically the hub is the platform where all runners can go and get their pictures and get their results and get runner you know, informational content, things that, that Dave supplies to us you know, from a fleet feed perspective, et cetera. Um, but all the runners have to go here. And the, the last thing that we did with that was we used that as a marketing tool for races to market back to their runners for free. Mm. And I wanted to, to create a marketing, so that's where we finally were able to help the races market their events, but for free. And, the, and it's a very open relationship. It's, is, you know, if I can help them grow their races, then there's more people using our services, right? Exactly. But it's a win-win, and we're really excited about it. We're the only guys that I know of in the world that has all these components in one, you know, under one house. So that's, that's where we're at within Motive now.
Very cool. That's that's fascinating. I didn't know all that backstory, and it makes a ton of sense business-wise and experience-wise for the runners, right? And I take a lot of credit for that, too, because since the time <laughs> that we started talking about the transaction and Steve buying the races and me buying his stores, that's when all this has taken off. That's true. That's <laughs> so, true. This wouldn't have happened if I had to still go to my store well, every day. That kind of... It's kind of... <laughs> That's not true. But I, w- I would say the one thing that is the benefit um, uh, from this transaction from my perspective, and we talked about it briefly, is focus. Being able to really focus on the seven stores that we have, the thousands of customers that we're lucky enough to have come into our doors, and being able to grow our business in a way that is going to really help the running community. And we're working on a piece of technology right now called FitID, which is a 3D scanning device uh, for getting measured for shoe fit. So hmm. when you walk into a Fleet Feet sports store now, you're going to be able to step onto a fl- platform and get your foot scanned and then have it delivered via email, which is what I learned from my friend Steve over there. You have to get it to people as fast as possible uh-huh. so they have the ability to use it and share it. That wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for being able to focus on mm-hmm. what is important to our business. And that's, yeah. that's I think, the the one uh, un tallied uh, piece of the transaction. Well, that's cool. Now I got to get I got to get back into the Oak Park store and get my 3D scan done. You do. I, I actually he just did it for me when he first got the the, the, to, the new toy, if you will. And from there, he put an orthotic in my shoe that I never had before, and it's made a difference. I mean, it's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. And I've well, been running for a while with my shoes, and he's like, "No, we're going to make this this little tweak." <laughs> and it, it's really a neat technology. I mean, yeah. it's it's as cutting edge as our photo platform. Going back to how you've established your tie with the community and that inclusiveness, though, too, it's anybody, any size, come in, hey. Come in, get on the treadmill. We'll help you get fit right and talk in a language that's not just for the super nerd runners, but just somebody that's just trying to get started or whatever. And here's and we know enough about to your point, Steve, to Dave, their knowledge of well, this you've got this type of foot or this type of gait, so this is the kind of shoe. And now you walk out of there and you're instead of coming out with blisters and you know knee pain that you hadn't be like, okay, well, screw this, running isn't for me. You're actually fit right. And thankful for them that they got it right. So now you've got a customer for life. And listen, you know it's just basic as an stuff. exercise. Yeah. And they're just in the wrong shoes right. walking. They think they want to get those walking shoes, quote unquote. Right. And they're in the wrong damn thing. I mean, that's there's there is something to being fit. I mean, so one of our lines that Dave and I use is uh, we're, we're in, in our attempt to to refocus the people to participate in the running industry is to let them know that. That running is the ultimate freedom. You can run anywhere, anytime, in any socioeconomic environment for free with one caveat. And, and I, I say I'm uniquely qualified to say this is I owned running stores and I don't anymore. And that is that you have to be fit properly for a pair of shoes. And then the second line comes back to us where we say, and, and, and running races is the celebration of that freedom. Mm-hmm. But it's the ultimate freedom. But you can't, you know, nothing is completely free. You, it's just all you have to do is be fit for the shoes. And so... Again, our message is 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 really tied together because if they're not fit properly for the shoes, they're not going to enjoy my race. Right, and and you know, so we're we'll we'll always be tied at the hip. And I think that's a good way to to end it. Big race coming up. The hot chocolate in Chicago is is it the largest uh, of its size in the, in the in the country? Is that right? So it's the largest five k. Largest five k. And we we toggle every couple of years is the largest fifteen k. Okay. Um, it's obviously the largest 15K series in the world, um, and it's it, it toggles between the fifth and sixth largest race in the United States. Wow. 
Okay. And so they, where do folks go? Because this episode should be posted uh, September 20th, September 20th. So is there still time for people to sign up? They, yeah, of is there a, yeah, they can uh, go to hotchocolate15k.com. Okay. You choose your city, which obviously in this case would probably be Chicago, but there's 19 other, yeah, 18 others, yeah, I should people say. People listening outside Chicago, uh, check it out and see if there's one coming to your town. So. Yeah, and then in Chicago, we have both the 15K, the 5K, and our charity partner, very important, is Make-A-Wish. This year's race is now called the MB, Chicago Hot Chocolate Race. Um, and then we have a, a separate charity partner in Special Olympics of Chicago mm. uh, for the walk. So Chicago's oh, unique, cool. it also has a walk. Both Make-A-Wish and Special Olympics, and Special Olympics especially having such a tie to founding in Chicago and all that, but two exactly. great organizations, yeah. and that's another cool part of these road races, of the giving back piece is, is awesome. All right, so cognizant of time, I think we, we can wrap up. Did I forget anything or anything else, parting shots from either of you gentlemen before we, before we shut down the mics? Are we good? I'm great. Are you satisfied, Dave? I don't want you to leave here unsatisfied. It's just like a Fleet Feet story experience. We'll have to talk about my DJing and and background some other time. Yeah, we'll 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 do a special bonus pod on DJ Jazzy Zimmer. All right. No jealousy there. (laughs) Okay, good. We kept it. I'm out on that one. We kept it at an even three. You're good. Steve Ginsburg, Dave Zimmer. This was a really enjoyable chat. Learned a lot today. Thanks for joining me on the Painless Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Steve and Dave, for your time, as well as the amazing and talented Robin Monsky, Round Robin Sports, for setting all this stuff up for us. Four real quick things to add to your to-do list before you skip to the next podcast. One, if you're looking for a new job at all, great, great culture, uh, great growing company, NCSA. Go to ncsasports.org. They are hiring down at the bottom of the screen and click on careers. You can see how you can join the world's largest and most successful collegiate athletic recruiting network. They're hiring now. Uh, Second of all, if you're into spike ball, spike ball nationals are coming to Chicago on October 14th. And if you in any way are interested at any level of playing in spike ball nationals, save 50% off team entry with the code painless. Just go to usaspikeball.com and use that code painless. Get in for half price. Uh, third thing, let me see you at the event tonight. Go to eventsprout.com, search Painless to buy a ticket. Hope to see you there. And lastly, save five bucks on entering the hot chocolate race here in Chicago with that code HC Painless. All right, I'm out. Have a great day, great week. Talk to you soon. Until next time, it's Chris Hartwig saying, stay connected, friends. <laughs> <laughs>